Um, can you believe it's August already? Did we have a summer? Like, we blinked and it's August, which made me think about the fact that next summer is the Summer Olympics again. So we'll blink our eyes and the Summer Olympics will be here again. And think about for the last, I guess it would be three years now, the preparation that's had to go for an Olympic athlete to compete in the Olympics. Like they eat, drink, and sleep their sport, their competition. And the amount of time and effort to even qualify, let alone, um, you know, win a gold medal. Or, or sometimes it's like three-tenths of a second between a, a gold medal and a silver medal. I thought about all the preparation that goes into that. But think about this, too, because probably none of us are going to be Olympic athletes. If you are, I'd love to know about it. But um, you're going to blink your eyes, and it's going to be Thanksgiving, right? And you're going, what? It's August. It happens like that, right? And if you're going to host people in your house to have a Thanksgiving meal, how much preparation goes into that? A lot. Days before, the shopping, and all, of, all that comes to that. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about pre- being prepared to be used by God. There, we don't just snap our fingers, and all of a sudden, you know, we're ready, right? There is a preparation that has to happen, and... and what we're doing is we're, we're looking in this new series that we started last week called What's Next? And for the month of August, it's really about vision. What does God have for you as an individual and for us as a community? What's next? But more than, I think, a question, it's an invitation by God to say, you've been fruitful. I want you to be more fruitful. And for us to ask God, God, where can we be more fruitful? What do you want us to do as your people and position ourselves in in such a way? You guys, we were created with significance. God wants each one of us to know that our lives are significant and our lives matter. And our lives can have impact on other people. And so when we think about being used by God, we have to always remember That whatever gifting you have or whatever means you have, it's been by grace. Everything is by God's grace. But grace does not nullify our responsibility to be prepared to be used by God. And so God, I believe, has a challenging word for each one of us that being used by God isn't just pastors and missionaries and so forth. It's all of us. Whoever is a disciple of Jesus, you're in ministry. (laughs) And your life matters. So we're going to read from the book of Luke. A word from Jesus to his disciples about preparing for his return. That Jesus, as sure as he came the first time, is coming back again. And we're longing for that day. And he wants his disciples, his church, to be every day to be prepared and be being prepared. So here's what he told his disciples in Luke 12, 35 through 40. It says, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, 
because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So there's an admonishment there from Jesus for us to be ready, to be thinking about him on a daily basis and have our lives prepared to be used by him in this life and prepared for his, his second coming and the life to come. Now, people ask me often, well, what, what's your end time position, right? Theologically, what's your end times position? And just so you know, I'm a be readiest. Like, yeah, I'm serious. Like, I don't know how it's all going to work out. We're, me and TJ were just having a good conversation about the book of Revelation and, and that, and I don't know. I just know he's coming again, and so I want to be ready. I know the fact is, in the next 40, 50 years, I'm definitely going to meet him face to face through the doorway of death. We don't know what day our death could happen, not to be morbid, but that's just the reality of life, right? And so we need to be ready always for that, but we also, as he's saying here, be ready for his return and be ready to be used by him on a daily basis. Three things I saw in this. First of all, he said, be dressed for service. What does that mean? Be dressed for service. It made me think of, if you're taking notes, you could go to Colossians chapter 3, about verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, to clothe ourselves as disciples of Jesus, to literally clothe ourselves with humility, clothe ourselves um, with forgiveness and, and all the characteristics of Jesus, to clothe ourselves with love and patience and kindness, that fruit of the Spirit in our life that he produces when we're dressed for service. The second thing I saw was be ready for service. There's a, a being ready, a mindset. A mindset that, Lord, I want to be prepared to be used by you today. Not next week or maybe in a few months when I get my act together, but, Lord, I want to be prepared today. Made me think of a story that my, my brother told about my nephew, Noah. Noah was a really good football player in high school. In his very first Little League football game, this is adorable, Mike, Mike said when he went to go wake him up on Saturday morning to play his, his first Little League football game, that when he pulled the blankets back to wake him up, he, he slept in his uniform, cleats, pants, helmet, shoulder pads, all night long he just slept like that because he did not want to miss his first football game. What a killer illustration for us. Lord, I want to be dressed and ready to be used by you and how that you want to use each one of us. And then be waiting for service. God wants us willing he wants us to willingly be prepared. And what an invitation by Jesus, right? Think about this. Jesus doesn't need any of us to do anything for him. He's the so sovereign king of the universe. But he invites us to be part of changing the world around us. Think about that. To change the world, to impact another person's life is the most great invitation he could give for us. So let's accept that invitation. How do we do that? How do we, how do we prepare ourselves as he was challenging us in those verses? First thing I would tell you is I need to prepare my heart. Your heart is so important, that inner part of who you are. We're told over and over to guard our hearts because from it flow the, the issues of life, to guard our hearts and to prepare our hearts. Paul, the apostle, told uh, Timothy 
In 2 Timothy 2, verse 20 and 21, he says, In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also wood and clay. Let me stop there for a second. Um, You know, if you have people over to your house, um, especially if it's a more formal occasion, you bust out the good stuff, right? You're not drinking out of Rockies cups that you got at a Rockies game, right? I collect those. Janelle hates those things. But man, they make great 32 ounces to, to drink out of, but you're not busting those out for, for guests. So that's what he's trying to make a point here. You have some vessels, utensils in your house that are for common use and some for special use. He goes on to say some are for special purpose, some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. How many want to be instruments of special purposes of God. Let me see your hands. We, I want to be an instrument of God's special purposes. And you might be thinking to yourself, he can't use me, right? Well, you bet he can. Ephesians 2, uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 tells us how we're made right with God. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, It's a gift of God, lest nobody boast, lest nobody be proud. Your salvation was bought for by Jesus Christ, and you just put your faith in it. In verse 10, he says that we were we're God's workmanship to do good works. So we're not saved. Salvation isn't found by what I do or don't do. It's solely by grace. But we're saved not by works, but saved unto good works. And so good works is just a byproduct of being saved, of knowing Jesus. And so when you think about, you know, this text here in in 2 Timothy, God uses small vessels. He uses plain vessels. And what I know for a fact is he uses broken vessels. That's me. I'm aware of my brokenness on a daily basis. But he's restoring. He's restoring each one of us back into the image of God, into his image. Um, Years ago, I wrote a book called Noblesse Oblige. And that means, in French, your noble obligation. And when I wrote this book, I didn't write it to be rich and famous because I definitely, neither one of those happened anyway. But I didn't write it thinking that it was going to be some sort of bestseller. It was a tool to help people know what their purpose and calling and mission in life really were. That was the whole reason I put it together. And I remember thinking to myself, like, right before it got published, I thought, who cares what I have to say? I'm a broken human being. And I thought, went a little further, and I thought, like, would somebody in Africa want to read my book? Would it do, have any kind of impact? And I thought, oh, probably not, right? Some white dude from the suburbs of Denver, what do I have to say? And I'm not trying to beat myself down. That conversation went on in my head. <laughs> and probably a year after the book got published, I did a little like selling books, and this couple bought a book for their son. And uh, they gave it to him. And probably six months later, they came and found me and said, we have a gift for you. And it has something to do with your book. I was like, okay. When they met me, they handed me this beautiful African garb, like a closed you know, dress that a man would wear. It was hand-stitched and everything. I mean, it was really cool. I'm like, what's this about? 
They said, the, the son began to tell me a story that when he was young, in like high school, his mom died of cancer. And he had been mad at God ever since and said, nah, I don't believe in this Christianity stuff anymore. So he, you know, went in a different direction in his beliefs. And he said that um, the reason he went to Africa was he wanted to go particularly to Nigeria and study this old, you know, kind of voodoo sort of religion called Ifu. And the Ifu religion, you can call, they try to call up the dead. And so in his mind, he wanted to talk to his mom. And he was going to go to this length to go learn about this to talk to his mom. Well, he said that when he was on the airplane ride over to Nigeria, he read my little book. And he said something happened in him that started this little flicker back to his relationship with Jesus. And when he got there, he stayed with a professor um, at a univer the university. He was doing like a semester abroad over there. And the guy that he stayed with was a, not only a professor, but he was also a pastor. And so when he got over there, the, the pastor professor guy said, well, what are you doing here ultimately? And he was honest with him. He said, I'm here to talk to my mom. I want to study this, you know, religion. And the guy said, oh, son, you don't need to do that. Your, your mom's with Jesus. God sent you here so I could reintroduce you to the real Jesus Christ. And in that moment, he became a follower of Jesus again. And the, the pastor professor saw my little book there, and he recognized the title because uh, lots of countries in Africa, French is one of their languages. He saw Noblesse Oblige, and he said, what's this? And he said, oh, a pastor friend of my parents wrote this book. Well, he ended up reading the book, and he translated it into his original language. And then he gave me that little gift of that African garb. I say all that to say, God uses broken vessels. If he can use a knucklehead like me, he can use anybody. I'm telling you. And the, the, the part of, you know, God using small vessels, plain vessels, broken vessels, leads me to this point too. The one type of vessel that God's not going to use is an impure vessel. He's not going to use an impure vessel. Now, immediately we think to ourselves, well, I'm out, <laughs> right? You, you, you can't use me. I know my thoughts. I know. Here's what I mean by that. We all sin. We're all sinners in need of grace every day. And God is a loving, awesome God. Um, and he purifies us. The gospel is what makes us pure, not what I do and don't do. But when, I, when you think of, of purity or having a, a pure heart, you, when, when, when we sin, there's something in us that turns our back to God. God doesn't turn his back to us. When I feel guilty, I don't, I don't want to, you know, look at God. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. Can you relate to what I'm talking about? But when, the more we know the gospel, we're saying, Lord, I'm broken. I need you. Purify my thoughts. Purify my motives, Lord. And so how do we stay pure in heart to be used by God? The first thing I would say, if you're taking notes, this, you might want to add this, is confession. There's a practice of confessing our sins. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us and purify us in our hearts, in our lives. So the first thing is we confess, Lord, I blew it. Lord, that was sinful. And we confess it to one another. We learn how to have that practice. So there's that accountability when we blow it. 
And when you think of confession, we're not trying to get God, you know, God doesn't need our confession. When Jesus died on the cross, past, present, and future, he died for all of our sin. Confession is a practice of continuing a relationship with the Lord. It's acknowledging our shortcomings before him. I like to look at it this way. How many of you take the garbage out when the garbage gets full? That's what confession is. This world creates garbage in our mind, and it creates garbage in our lives. We create it sometimes ourselves too. And confession is just, whoop, I'm taking this garbage out. I'm taking it to the cross. I'm taking it to the place where my sin was paid for. Second thing, to stay pure in heart, I believe, is to check your motivation. Check your motivation. Why do I want to be used of God? In uh, the New Testament, we see it over and over that we are going to be rewarded in the life to come for the things that we our faithfulness, and for the things that we did for Jesus and in the power of Jesus. We can do ministry. We can serve for our own glory. We can do it so somebody else sees us or, or whatever, and we have to be careful of that, especially anybody that has to you know, teach or, or lead music or worship or something that, that, that's outwardly. Uh, we got to always check our motives. Like, Lord, don't ever let ministry you know, be my relationship with you. And so for the, just remember this, for the glory of Christ and the power of Christ, the things that we do will be rewarded and it'll keep our hearts pure when we confess our sins and we have the right motivation. The second thing to be prepared to use by God is I need to prepare my mind. We need our minds prepared. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, he says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I remember when I first became a Christian, I didn't become a believer until I was like 25. Um, growing up, we were CEO Christians, right? Christmas, Easter only. hey Anyway, some of you, that was new. Um, but I just, we didn't really go to church a whole lot or whatever. It wasn't a huge part of our life. And I remember when I first became a Christian, you know, people would ask me these hard theological questions. You know, why is there suffering? Why is there this? Why is there that? And I'd be like, I don't know. And I remember going to my pastor and I said, you know, people are asking me these questions I don't have any answer to. And he goes, you're not going to have perfect answers for anybody, but you can give a reason for the hope that you now have. You can give a reason that Jesus changed your life. You don't know why the sky's blue or this happens or whatever happens, but you do know that he changed your life. But if you walk with Jesus long enough, you're going to run into some questions that, that even challenge your faith. You're going to go through things in your life that challenge what you really believe. So how do we prepare our minds to be used by God? The first thing I see is revere Christ. He said, but in your hearts, revere Christ. That is, set, set apart Christ as Lord. It's a mindset that, Jesus, you're going to call the shots in my life. Be the Lord of every area of my life. Be, be the Lord of my mouth, my actions, my words, my thoughts. Be the Lord of everything. Secondly, he says, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. How do we learn how to give a reason for the hope, a reasonable uh, explanation? That's why we read the Bible. 
Don't ever let just an hour on Sunday morning or a 30-minute message from church be your, your food spiritually that you eat during the week. You got to feed yourself. You have to read the Bible for yourself. Ask questions. That's why we're here to help one another grow. That's why there's home groups and, and study groups and all of that. You, you got to continue to feed yourself. Second Timothy, Paul told Timothy, he says, he says study uses the word study to show yourself approved as a workman who rightly divides the word of truth. And so you need to discipline. We need to discipline ourselves so that we can give a, a reason for the hope that we have. Sometimes Christians are dangerous with their Bible knowledge. It'd be like, it says somewhere in the Bible that um, God helps those who help themselves. It, it doesn't say that in the Bible. Sounds great. But the point being is you don't have to be polished and, and, and know all theological terms, but you do need to know the gospel, and you need to know why you, you believe. Um, the last Tuesday Night Disciples, the, the team put together teaching on worldview, that everybody has a worldview, and a worldview is just a set of lenses, lenses that you interpret life with. So we want a gospel, biblical worldview. How do I interpret life from, from the lenses of the gospel? Well, as they were talking through this, I loved what they came up with, that it's sometimes as Christians we say, well, I became a Christian on this day, or you know, when I became a Christian. Um, but the most important thing is, why are you still a Christian? Why are you still following Jesus? Why do you follow? That's the answer of preparing your mind. And I'll tell you this, I am a follower of Jesus because he answers the big questions of life. He answers what is my purpose? What happens when you die? Why is there suffering? What's gone wrong in this world? Only Jesus gives those answers. I searched prior to being a Christian for all kinds of possibilities. And the only person that gave me real answers to life was when I learned about Jesus and who he was. And then thirdly, though, in preparing our mind, this really does go hand in hand. He says, give your reason for your hope with gentleness and respect. He didn't say get in a fight on Facebook over what you believe. Seriously, some people do that. We get into some ridiculous social media stuff. And um, I get it, you know, but we got to watch what we say. Is the Jesus that I say I'm following, is he compelling to somebody who watches my life? Like, that's convicting, right? Is, is my life portraying a Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of the gospel? Very important. So you prepare your mind. And then lastly, I need to prepare for opportunities, Prepare your heart, prepare your mind, and then prepare for opportunities because here's the deal. God has set out a path for your life, and as you walk out the path of your life, you are bumping into opportunities on a daily basis to be used of God. Are our eyes open to the things that are around us? That's where we have to learn, Lord, make me aware of people's needs. Make me aware of situations. Make me aware um, that I'm not just so focused on me and my day that I'm missing out on opportunities that are right around us. In Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, what a great passage on being prepared for opportunities. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, 
being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul wrote this from prison. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, meaning those who don't believe. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So I can't see a couple things here. How do we prepare for opportunities? Well, first of all, be prayerful. The, the, the prayer in, in, is not just to get God to do things for us. Prayer is a conversation with God to have a relationship with him. Just, you know, and I get it. You say, well, he doesn't talk back. He actually does. When, every time you pick up the Bible, he's speaking to you. He speaks through the Holy Spirit. He speaks through other people. And prayer is developing this relationship with him. And when you pray, you're, making, you're creating a sensitivity in your heart towards God. And so when you're prayerful, you will be more sensitive to the spirit and opportunities that are around you. He says, be watchful. He says, you know, be authentic. Don't be so spiritual when you're trying to help somebody or tell them about their faith that they don't understand what you're saying. Make sure we're not using Christianese, right? That can become its own language really quick. And people, you start talking things, we got to be careful that we're helping people, not, you know, worried about what kind of words we're using, but giving them the gospel, Jesus, the simple part that's there. Um, I've asked Kristen and Joel, will you guys come up here? Kristen and Joel, give them a big hand. Kristen and Joel, um, they oversee our home group ministry. Let me see if I can turn this on. You know what you're doing. Um, they oversee our home group ministry, and Joel's one of the board members of Novation. And I've known them since they were in ninth grade. Like, it's pretty amazing. Like, I, I got to be their youth pastor. I watched them fall in love, and then uh, I, ba- I baptized them, and then um, did their wedding, and now they have their own children, and we're dedica- we dedicated their children. Now their kids are getting baptized. Ashlyn got baptized last week, and we went on a mission trip together, and they were like in high school, and then now their kids are going on mission trips with us, and I was like, I'm getting old. <laughs> Grandpa Scott. But anyway, um, I really, really look up to you guys. I do. I, I, I've always admired the way that you do exactly what Paul talks about in looking for opportunities to not just demonstrate your faith, but to live out your faith in a way that's appealing to other people. I mean, I say that publicly in front of your church family. You guys do a great job. And I I would just maybe wanted you guys to see kind of what goes on in their, their calendar, in their talks together, and how they actually really take this verse very, very serious. And, um, you know, what have you guys done to say, you know what, we want to live that out, to, to, to be authentic in it? Well, to be honest, I appreciate those, those kind words, Scott. And uh, as you asked us to do this, I was kind of thinking, are you sure you want us to be up there? Aren't I there do. a lot of other people who, who do this really well? And, and uh, so honestly, I don't, I don't always feel like I do that really well. But Okay, your uh, wife does a great job. She does. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to answer the question, uh, yeah, so I grew up in the church, and, and I was around 
uh, people in the faith, and I, I went to a Christian school, so it was very comfortable for me to be in that world. And uh, it was difficult for me to be outside of that world and engage with people outside of that context. And I would say um, maybe four or five years ago, we really had uh, somewhat of a, a mental shift where we made a conscious effort to say that we are going to live our life and we're going to be on mission in our life. And um, while going to the Dominican or, or serving in specific missional opportunities are great, we really want to engage with the people who are in our neighborhoods, who are in our workplaces, and so on and so forth. And um, it's a really difficult balance, uh, for sure, because, you know, like we mentioned earlier in the service, our church is great at community, and, and we have home groups, and we have activities, and we serve each other, and uh, have so many opportunities to do life together, and that's wonderful. But I think there's times and moments where we need to make the choice to engage with our communities. And so that might mean, uh, instead of, Kara, sorry, I don't want to take away from your softball team, but uh, there might be a time where instead of choosing the Novation softball team, you engage with the one that you have with your workplace or with your community. Uh, so those are very conscious decisions that Chris and I try to make uh, in terms of how we spend our time and who we spend our time with. Uh, just as one practical example for me is um, I coach, uh, I'm one of the coaches on my son's uh, football team. And I do that not just to be a volunteer, not just because I like football, but because just by doing that, we have a community of a dozen families that now we know really, really well. We know their kids, we know the both sets of parents, and it's a fun place to just engage, and we can be salt and light. And it's nothing more than just being involved in, and engaging with those in those communities. So um, I'll hand it over to you to explain your side. Thanks, babe. Um, okay, so we have four kids, and our oldest two are young teenagers, and then we have two who are still elementary school age. And probably like maybe four or five years ago, I was with Naomi Ingalls, who's part of our church family, and at the time, her oldest daughter was a teenager, and um, her daughter's friend called her. And I was just listening to Naomi's side of the conversation, and I think that maybe the friend had like had a boyfriend break up with her or something but she was calling Naomi and I was listening to Naomi like care about her daughter's friend and God like really convicted me and impressed on my heart in that moment love your child's friends and it sounds small but it's actually a very practical way that we are intentional in just opening our lives and both literally and figuratively making more room at our table I think my natural inclination previously has kind of been like to say no. Like when I have one of the kids says, well, can so-and-so eat dinner or come with us to the movie or whatever, I kind of wanted to protect my family time. And certainly there's a time and a place for that, but God has kind of shifted our default to be yes. Yes, you can eat dinner with us. Yes, you can join us for our walk. Yes, you can spend the night. And it's, it's been really wonderful to see my kids' friends find a place in our home where they feel welcome and heard and seen. And just the other night, my daughter's best friend was eating dinner with us. And um, we were, you know, going around the table and we were actually talking about Ephesians 2.10. We were talking about that verse and about what it means for 
my kids as they're going into their new school year. And her friend was joining our conversation. She was talking about her goals. And um, it sounds small, and it's easy to think like, well, I would live missionally or live differently if my life was different, if I had more time, if I had more money, if I had a different job or just a different set of circumstances. But I think one of the things that um, God has really shown Joel and I is just that this life isn't an accident. The, the place that we live and the families that are on our kids' sports teams and the schools that my kids go to, it's not an accident, but there's intentional work to be done there for us. And it's joyful. The connections, the community, the people, like our life is richer uh, because of it. That's excellent. Thank you, guys. Um, real quick before you go, what if your kids' friends annoy you, though? I'm just kidding. Jeez, take it. You were like, you thought that was serious. No. No, you got you to gotta work through that. Yeah, if your kids' friends annoy you, talk to Joel and Kristen. They obviously know what they're doing. It's the sphere of influence. I mean, work, family, neighborhood, hobbies. God wants the salt, not in the shaker, but to get out into the world. We're the salt of the, the earth, Jesus said. And salt is a flavor enhancer. It creates thirst. It, uh, it's a healing agent. And so when he used that illustration as salt or let your conversation be seasoned with salt, it's there for a specific reason for us to remember that. Um, would you stand with me? I want to pray. I know in a message like this, some of you are going, God can't use me. I, I know it. And you're going, well, how did you know? Because I, I think it all the time myself. But it's not about you, and it's not about me. And the quicker we realize that it's not about us, it's about him working in and through us and us cooperating with him, pressure's off. He's going to get the glory. He's going he's to get the honor. You get the privilege of being to partner with God and, and changing the world for the better. I can't think of a greater calling than, than him doing that. So today, will you say yes to that? And before I pray, if you've never said yes to Jesus, today is the day to say yes to him. Um, today is the day to say, you know what, Lord? I don't want to be my own boss. I don't want to call the shots in my life. Maybe you're thinking, I've messed up my life. Jesus is the Savior. He's the healer. He came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross to pay for our sins. You don't have to, you don't pay for your sins. Only the, the, he could do that. And now when he gives you new life and you say yes to him as savior, you begin to follow him as his, his disciple, he'll teach you how to live. Don't try to clean up your life before you come to Jesus. Come now and then let him have his way. He can use any of us. And he does. If you read the Bible long enough, you'll realize he used a lot of misfits and broken people. <laughs> and his lineage is broken people <laughs> and crazy stuff. And yet he chose to identify with us. Let him touch your life today. Let him pour out his spirit fresh and new on you. Would you believe him more than you believe, disbelieve in yourself? Would you believe in him? Father, as we close our time together this morning, we thank you for the impartation of new life. 
Help us to draw on your resources and the spirit that you've given us, Lord. I think of the verse that says you've given us everything that we need for life and godliness through Jesus. Help us to access that. We don't need more of you. You need more of us. <laughs> so, Lord, we give you our hearts, our minds, and help us, starting even now, to look for opportunities to be your hands and feet in a hurting world, to give a reason for the hope that we have. Lord, always with gentleness and respect. We love you. God, I thank you for this church family, this community. God, I pray as we're continuing to accept your invitation to more and what's next, that you would use us in a greater way to impact our literal neighbors, our literal community right here around us. For your glory, amen.